It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Oh, look who's back. Look at him. It's good to have you out of camp. I was camping. You went camping, didn't you? Yeah, you see this tan I got going right now? <laughs> Kirk Morrison, back in the mix. We really appreciate it. Uh, I mean, I'll have him for swinging by and, and being in the spot while my man is doing his duties. As, uh, yeah. These organizations around the nation are trying to get ready for uh, the gridiron. And uh, today we bring Kirk back uh, with some good stuff. We'll visit a little later with uh, the executive director of NBA Foundation, Greg Taylor. Second anniversary already for that fine organization uh, dispensing millions of dollars around the country for the power and promise of Black youth. Uh, speaking of Black youth, we'll dive inside and some troubling images from Little League World Series. Uh, but let's start off with the game that you are deeply entrenched with, the game of football. The NFL now claims, Kirk, that John Gruden sent uh, some of these derogatory emails that we've come accustomed to knowing were a part of his flow yeah. while serving as the Raiders coach. Uh, the first flow um, always felt that it was during his time uh, as a commentator um, and relationships, of course, with his brother's uh, role in Washington. But when we talk about uh, these these thoughtless, hateful, uh, at times bigoted and misogynist email conversations, uh, it, it seems like it, it it had a longer shelf life. Yeah, it did. It, and it could be a lot longer. This is going to be a, an interesting, um, I would say, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out because the NFL is trying to keep it, I believe, in arbitration. And I believe that John Gruden and his group, they want to take this to trial. They want to open up everything. What all yeah, do you I, I, know? It doesn't seem like it's going to be a settlement. Right. Yeah, he, he ain't no, ain't no settlement coming. Yeah. yeah, ain't no settlement coming. Um, and there's been you know thoughts of John Gruden even returning to coaching, maybe not with the you know Raiders, obviously, but mm-hmm. somewhere else. Um, this has always been something that when it first came down back last season about emails that happened ten plus years ago, eleven plus years ago, it was kind of meant with is this the person who we think it is or what we saw in these emails? Is this, is this who you really are? And so was, you have this, this a habit, right? Yeah. Was this a habit? And so now you have this, um, the kind of push pull situation going here. like, man, I, you know, he's been my coach, but then I also remember this moment. And then you remember how other people have said certain things about him and the way that he coaches his coaching style. Right. Right. Behind no closed show. doors. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to think that, hey, this possibly could have happened since he was in the coach of the Raiders when they were back in Oakland, back in 2018, that there's more to it. Now, the, the stuff that I've been reading, Jax, is that that that's a that shouldn't be, uh, I guess, used in, in, in the court or the arbitration that they're going through. Oh, well, because well, listen, it, it, yeah. it's Gruden who was suing the NFL, Goodell, Correct. and the Raiders, right? 
Right. So and anything so that comes out in Discovery from any of those three entities is coming out. So you may, right. you may not like it, but that's the deal, right? But they but they're saying like, okay, well, you I was fired or wrongfully fired mm-hmm. for things that accused of or or was thrown out that was emails of 10 plus years ago. Now the recent story now is the NFL is saying, well, this doesn't it wasn't just back then. We also got some new stuff that came out. We we got the new new. Yeah, yeah. And so now we what happens when we start fighting City Hall, right? <laughs> like it's all coming out. So it's you know it, it is it's it's a, a bad look for obviously for John Gruden the league because this is something that um because you you employed someone like this because now you're wrapping in not only the NFL the Raiders obviously the Washington organization but then also too this is how he spoke as a and and we know this Jax as a as a member as an employee of ESPN. I mean, they're the ones who are sitting back saying, wait, <laughs> their eyes are a little bit open too now because this was all while he was employed, most of it while he was employed by ESPN as a Monday Night Football analyst. So it's a lot of different layers to this. It will continue to grow, Jax. Yeah. But more importantly, I, I don't know what the, the real ending is going to be like. What, what does the what does the ending sort of solve here? Well, it, it feels from just the outside looking in, right? It's if I'm going down, everybody's going down with me. It has that vibe right. to it. Um, and if you're the NFL, you're in full defense mode, right? Like right. you're literally holding the shield up. Uh, reports out of Las Vegas that the league has suggested that this is Gruden, that these derogatory emails is part of his MO, um, that it wasn't confined to those messages to Barry Allen in, in 2011. Yeah. Um, and, and that the same types of things continued, as you noted, well beyond uh, the non-NFL days, the ESPN days. Um, but it's, uh, you know, moving into this next space. And and it's funny, you talked about, you touched the talk, talk about this part of it a little bit more yeah. in that, and it, it probably doesn't matter in a court of law, but the public opinion is it's going to be a major factor if his dreams come true of ever trying to coach again. And it's going to be the men that he worked with and, and coached yeah. trying to reconcile all this garbage. And who answers that call? Ooh, that's going to be tough because now you have to find an owner who is willing to take on, obviously, the backlash of uh, what may happen. I mean, obviously, yeah. we see the backlash and how the people of Cleveland, or I won't say the people of Cleveland, but the owner of the Cleveland Browns is standing behind Deshaun Watson. Sure. And his, you know, is now 11-game suspension and how they have been on record and come out and had press conferences about how they want to rehabilitate and be a part of the process of giving this man a second chance. Who wants to be that team that gives John Gruden a second chance? Who wants to be... Uh, because now this is in writing, you know, a lot of things that Deshaun Watson, Hey, it was alleged and it was found in a different kind of court of, 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 uh, of investigation. Sure. With John Gruden, criminal, right? right. Yeah. But with John Gruden is different, right? This is actually words that he typed words that he wrote. Right. And I can't get past if this truly is who this man is, or is it, Something that like, oh, that's what I do on my own. But this is who I am as a coach. I can't, I can't separate the two. To me, you're one and the same. 
And so I don't think that he will ever coach in the NFL again. I don't think that he will coach in college again. This is one of those instances, Jax, where it's done. I just want to know what the end result will be. Is it okay? Is it money that you seek? Is it an opportunity to coach in the league? Because no, I don't think anybody wants to touch him again. It's like, I want to know what will the resolution be from this? Is it because his name won't be clean from this? Oh, you know what? They were wrong. And the court writes, agrees, okay, the NFL was wrong in firing you because of, okay, but still doesn't change what you wrote. It still doesn't change that's, what we that's think. That's the, the so, foundation, right? Like, right. that's the bottom line of it. The argument is, how, how are you all firing me for something I did when I didn't work for the <laughs> National Football League? Right. And the NFL saying, oh, hold on just a second. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got we got We're it. under the belief <laughs> and we have the facts, which will be discovered, <laughs> that you sent the same kind of derogatory emails uh, following your start date with the Raiders. And right. I guess what his defense team is really trying to do is make sure they push back on that very issue that you can't now come in the 11th hour during appeal and say that, you know, I was worse than, than first discovered. Yeah. And I mean, I think just kind of revisiting some of the, those comments in the email, they were misogynistic. They were, um, you know, sexist, um, you know, they were, you know, homophobic. I mean, there was some things in these emails that, to him, kind of acted like he was, you know, boys being boys of a joking matter. But I think in the climate that we're in today, seeing those messages and seeing and reading some of those, that it was unacceptable. Right. And I think the more and more you go back and revisit it, you realize like that's that has no place when it comes to sports. It has no place in, in our society as well, even if you in a joking matter that that wasn't a joking matter. It's. It's an interesting thing, like the, the game plan for Gruden's team, right, is let's keep this all out in the open. Right. But if he keeps out in the open, this is what's going to continue to happen. If you agree to arbitration, then there's not a whole bunch of right. discovery and submittals of the even the emails. Yeah, it'll uh, be quiet. But, <laughs> so it's like, what, what is, like, your question comes back around. What is it that you actually want here? Right. You want he, restitution? He want this thing to be in. You he want back in the game? Like, <laughs> if, if this next layer comes out, that ship is gone. Yeah. Exactly. And it probably already is. Let's be honest. But oh, the NFL had a, has a plan. I, I'm watching their plan. But, you know, John Green wants this thing to be on people's court with Judge Wapner. Remember that yeah. one? <laughs> <The> doo-doo, doo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doo-doo. Yeah. Sometimes want the world to see. nature might get the best of us on yeah. this scenario. But you better take uh, a pause and relax, man. I mean, I don't. Again, I mean, this is one of those stories that, like, to me, has just been in the back of my mind, just thinking of, you know, I've met John Gruden plenty of times. You know, I'm Raider alumni. So, for him, he gave us some great years of coaching and things like that. But when you have something like this, it's something that you want to distance yourself from. And, obviously, I think this is something that the organization, the NFL, they want to push this away as far as possible but John Gruden, he's going to keep fighting. He ain't going nowhere. I just, again, I, I keep reiterating, I just don't know what the end result will, will, will bring because I think it's one of the terms I love to use, that that, that toothpaste is already out the tube. It ain't no way you could put it back in, bro. It, it's already done. Yeah. So and it's, it's all almost over the time. bathroom. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. Uh, our, our legal friends refer to this as after-acquired 
evidence. That's the term yes. we need to become familiar with. Um, it's it's they're going to defend themselves. Yeah, let's put it that way. <laughs> let's take a quick break. When we come back. We always enjoy when Greg Taylor comes around. He's the executive director of NBA Foundation. Second anniversary already. Sixth round of giving. Where's all this fantastic dough coming from and going to? We'll discuss as forward progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. It is our absolute pleasure to have on the program once again as we celebrate the second anniversary of NBA Foundation. Uh, the executive director of said space, Greg Taylor. Greg, great to have you back. Uh, congratulations on the anniversary. Uh, we had you on at, at inception. We had you on the first anniversary. I look back, we had you on for another reason. I think it was a round of giving and now back uh, and rightfully so uh, as you all celebrate your second anniversary with uh, what I believe is your sixth round of giving. That's right. Yeah. First of all, it's exciting to be here. I'm not sure if that means you have trouble getting guests, but I'm no, happy, man, no, 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 no. happy to talk to you all. No. Um, yeah. It's uh, a really incredible point uh, in history for our organization. Our second year um, just completed our sixth grant round and really happy to be in this space and, and, and looking forward to talking to you gentlemen. I think that's the big thing. It's, it's a celebration, though, Greg. We want to make sure we're celebrating you and the progress that you've made. I know the excitement that you get a chance to, in working with this and watching it continue to grow. What do you think is, uh, I won't say surprised you, but what's really, I guess, taking you back the most of how this thing has gone over the first couple of years? It, it, you're right. It's, it's been an incredible uh, two years. I think what's really been fulfilling is the degree to which the grantees that we've been able to partner with those incredible nonprofit organizations working in our markets really to help promote economic opportunity for black youth who they are how how viable they are and really viewing the partnership with the NBA foundation as something you know um critical uh, uh, to to their their future and their work Certainly the, the resources, the financial resources matter, but it's also the, the use of our platform, our brand, uh, the notoriety and visibility we can bring to those organizations. You know, Kirk, we created something called learning communities. And it's just really a fancy word to bring the, the grantees together. And what comes out of that is just this deep appreciation for uh, sharing best practices, of sharing the platform of the NBA to get their word out, their mission out, and really banding together for the benefit of these Black youth. And, that, and that's what it's all about. The excitement around that has been um, um, really fulfilling for me. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Greg Taylor with us here on Forward Progress as we talk about NBA, NBA Foundation, $300 million, part of a 10-year yeah. commitment from the NBA Board of Governors, uh, now has awarded 158 grants to date, more than $53 million to nonprofit organizations. In this sixth round, Greg, has was there a theme or a feeling of what you all wanted to touch uh, nationally and then in each MBA market? Yeah, it's interesting because we know there's so many uh, different strategies that effectively prepare Black youth for economic opportunity, whether that's first to college, whether that's an entrepreneurial program, trade school, whether it's, you know, a, a hard, you know, kind of a classic job skill development program, music program. Like, so it's not necessarily that there's kind of one particular theme. In fact, I think we're really uh, interested in this kind of broad tapestry of organizations because we know our young people are not a monolithic group. They come from all walks of life. We've got 
the court-involved young person all the way to the valedictorian, everybody in between, and we want to be responsive. But I do think, Jason, what is unique to this particular time is that, you know, we, we actually have a number of grants that we're renewing. Um, so we know that multi-year uh, renewable funds are important to these organizations because these are long-standing issues. We knew it was more than a one-year commitment. So this grant round that we're referring to features a number of multi-year or renewed grants because some of those organizations have just been doing great work and we want to double down on their leadership, on their mission, and on their capacity to serve our young people. And so uh, that, that's a real important feature to this grant round. Greg, kind of take me back a little bit because you mentioned the grants and you mentioned the different cities that you guys have been able to impact. But when it comes to the owners and we know the, the financial commitment that they gave, but where does that money come from? Is it individual owners? Is it collectively bargained? Or is it a situation where all of the owners agreed? I mean, I know I have a tough time for five of us trying to agree on where to go to dinner at, let alone 30 <laughs> people trying to agree to say we're going to give $10 million of our own money for a cause that we feel it impacts all of us as a group. Yeah, I would just take you back to the summer of 2020. I mean, this is when the height of the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and tragically so many other you know black folk killed at the hands of, of police. And really what happened was um, the, the NBA wanted to build on its longstanding history around social justice and civil rights. And so what I'm, what I'm proud to say is that there really was a very kind of unanimous uh, connection, if you will, to uh, this mission. And I think that the board banded together and they knew that uh, both a significant dollar amount, as Jason said, the $300 million, and equally important, a commitment to a decade of grant making. So 10 year commitment, because folks knew these are historical and deep seated, I dare I say systemic issues that affect our communities. And so uh, it really was a unanimous decision. Now, folks wanted to grapple over what the mission of the foundation would be and how we would deploy strategically and which communities and all of that. But but I, I would say pretty quickly, it was a unanimous decision to support the organization. And with that uh, kind of wind in our sail, we were able to set forth and, and really name both strategic direction, our population, our mission, our vision, and all of that. And that brings us to today. Greg Taylor is the executive director of NBA Foundation, the NBA's first ever charitable foundation dedicated to driving economic opportunity for Black youth. Having that specific charge, I imagine, ignites a desire uh, for and with participation with the player side. And uh, how have you all moved through that over the last couple of years? Do you invite it? Is it just come on by, see what we're doing and how can we be helpful? What's the best way to describe that part of the relationship? It certainly starts with Tobias Harris uh, and Harrison Barnes, who are on our board, um, as well as uh, Tamika, uh, Tamika, the new executive director on the PA side. It's a partnership. There's no question about it. But, you know, I think for me in my conversation with both Harrison and Tobias, and we talk regularly as board members and, and, and partners in this work, there's a real resonance with the clarity of our mission and a real resonance with the, the, the vision of our work uh, with our players. And so the, the way it's really kind of materialized to thus far is several of the grant applications that we get from organizations are referred to us by players. And so one of the ways we want our players to be involved is to help drive who are the organizations in those communities that uh, they, they too think are, are, are you know, positive uh, impacts on, on Black youth. And so that's the primary way. Uh, this is a season where I want to get out 
into the teams and really explain what we're doing to deepen that partnership and and to really give an update on kind of where we are. Uh, and so that work will be uh, will be done going forward. But two tremendous ambassadors in, in Harrison and and, and uh, Tobias, they ask tough questions at the board level and want to know where the resources are and how they're going to be used to kind of achieve our outcomes. Uh, and I appreciate their full participation and engagement. You know, Greg, what what have you seen so far in the first two years, the resource that's been used the most when it comes to a lot of these grants and the different organizations that you do work with, with the youth? Is it the job placement? Is it the educational advancement? What, what's been the biggest resource that you've seen used in the first couple of years? Yeah, it's a really great question. I, I think I bucketed in two in two ways. So we have two kind of penultimate or ultimate outcomes that we're looking for. We want to strengthen the organizations that serve Black youth in our markets. Right. And we want to increase outcomes for young people around job placement and, ec and economic opportunity, right? And so I think the way the resources have been used on the youth side, on the kind of youth impacting side, uh, really has been uh, driven by um, technology. We have a number of technology cluster grants. I, I would include STEM in there, but really a number of of grantees or and grant organizations that are focused on technology and growing the technological and computer skills of young people as a growth industry in the future in terms of work is pretty significant. Uh, and we also have, uh, I would say, a number of programs that are focused in what we say are the more traditional marketable skills uh, uh, division. And so there's a number of organizations that are really helping young people understand what does it mean to, to, to be able to do a trade and to be able to pick a career choice and follow that until the skills that you are. And then lastly, it's about access to higher education. We think those, right. you know, we have a number of organizations where it's uh, organ uh, young people's first opportunity to go to higher education. And we want to make sure they have the support and resources to kind of complete that work. So I think those three, first to college, technical skill and technology, I think are the growing trends, certainly other areas, but those would be some of the work that we're doing. And then on the organizational side, we just want to make sure that our grantee partners have capacity building dollars to strengthen the operational effectiveness of those organizations. Because when the day is done, we want to leave stronger organizations and we want to help more young people. And we know those institutions lead to helping young people reach those outcomes. So we want to be on both sides of that ledger, if you will, in the work. We're celebrating the second anniversary of NBA Foundation here on Forward Progress with their executive director, Greg Taylor. Greg, you, you touched on what is the most interesting dynamic of your two years, uh, and that's getting out and being among the teams mm -hmm. due to COVID. That had to be a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Uh, how, how awesome is it going to be to be able to get out uh, to yeah. many different markets and teams? Yeah, it's funny because we, you know, we know there's 30 teams in the that make up the league and we've probably gotten to about a third of them. In fact, I wish without COVID we would have been on the ground in each market. There's nothing more impactful than face-to-face -face relationship building. Um, I think our mission inspires folks. I think our work to date has been recognized as, you know, moving in the right direction, but there's nothing more important than spending a couple of days in market meeting potential grantees, partnering with the team foundation leads to really kind of think through what are the best ways and most effective ways these resources can move and impact in those markets and just spending time on the ground. So I can't I can't tell you how excited we are. I've got a pretty full travel schedule probably starting, <laughs> yeah. you know, mid next month to get out and, and just spend time in each market. I know there's nothing more valuable than that face-to-face -face contact, but couldn't agree with you more. And uh, we're going to get to be, be at a team near you soon. Uh, and that's where we are. <laughs>
<laughs> I think so much, uh, Greg, is that we talk about the impact that the NBA Foundation has had on, obviously, the the the, the franchises in the United States. But there is one in Toronto. There is one in Canada. And there is yeah. an impact, I think, that the NBA Foundation is doing there. How has that reach, as you've gotten into Canada, when we see so many Canadian-born NBA players who look like sure. me and you that are playing – and it's like, wait, wait, we worry about the U.S., but there's also other folks as well on that side of the border. How have the, the impact going in in, uh, in Canada? Yeah, so we view they're one of our markets. You know, we, right. we are, our criteria is to be active in our 28 markets, our 30 teams. We have a tremendous series of grant relationships in Toronto, in Canada. Actually, what's unique about the Canadian relationship is that they've decided to kind of work cross country. So the one cluster grant that we have includes Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal, all within uh, the kind of mission vision of economic opportunity for black Canadian youth. And so uh, there's an amazing series of leaders there that we've been able to partner with uh, in, in partnership with the with the Toronto Raptors and others. And so, yeah, we view them as our northern members of the family. Um, you know, uh, Larry Tenenbaum, who is the uh, principal owner of the of the Toronto Raptors, is on our board. Uh, and so I know he advocates and represents Canada well. And so it's been an amazing uh, 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 partnership with our with our brethren north of the north of the border. As you're talking, I'm just thinking about how wonderfully powerful it must be. Uh, as an ex executive director of a foundation that has all the ammo already in the philanthropic weapon, for lack of a better uh, analogy, <laughs> because part of the job oftentimes is every year, you know, stumping, going to get right. that dough and to be able to kind of take, and I, I'm sure that was not the easy part of this, by the way, but once you have it and you have so much, it just becomes the joy of, you know, basically Johnny Apple seeding all this, excellent stuff for black community. Yeah, well, you know, I think that is true. Um, you know, but there is a fundamental expectation that we're going to raise additional funds. I think what's awesome and to your point, Jason, the notion that the governor so graciously put up 300 million over 10 years shows our commitment and shows us putting our money where our mouth is around this critical issue. And the notion is to use that commitment our platform and and prayerfully the, the, the effectiveness of the foundation to raise additional dollars, because we know that more resources allows us to impact more young people. So there is a mandate to fundraise, and we are certainly targeting, you know, uh, or partners of the NBA and others that are interested in supportive of what our mission is. Um, but, it, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not lost on me that we're in a position to uh, raise those additional dollars uh, in a strong position because our governors have put that money on the table. Uh, that coupled with the amazing reputation of the league, the brand presence of the league, and then in fact our ability to kind of get the word out of progress over these last two years, we think we're in a position mm -hmm. to raise additional funds, and we're going to go after that. You know, we know more resources is just more young people, and and there's such great need in our markets for uh, uh, helping black youth realize their economic opportunities and dreams. And so we want to use all of our platform and all of our leverage to try to be as powerful and as, as impactful in the lives of those young people as possible. You know, Greg, Jason a little earlier mentioned the uh, number of a hundred plus grants that have already been given out. Uh, but obviously those grants um, will continue, but then there's also room for other grants to be granted to other places as you continue to expand uh, with with that being said, as you 
you're a very popular person now because the grants, <laughs> obviously, everybody got a handout, right, Greg? But <laughs> how do you take the next steps in terms of continuing to expand what, while also building on what you've already done? Yeah, uh, I'm not as popular as you guys, let's be clear. <laughs> you know, we all want Jason's, you know, little platform, but no. Uh, I guess a couple of things I'd say. Um, expansion, I want to be really clear, both to you all and our listeners, it doesn't mean we're adding more cities. Like we are focused on our 28 NBA markets. We chose those markets because, you know, we view the teams as economic anchors, if you will, in those in those communities. And to go deeper in those markets in, in terms of our work is really what the strategy is. But expansion does mean reaching more young people in those markets. Expansion right. does mean longer standing relationships with effective organizations where we have a deeper, longer uh, impact in terms of the work moving forward. And so, you know, I think what is important on our part is to get really clear about who and why we extend uh, multi-year grants to those organizations that are effectively serving those young people so they can be reliant on our support and obviously deepen and, and improve and increase their impact. And then we also want to find those organizations that are effectively working with our population that we don't know about, right? And we have a very clear criteria. We're looking for organizations led by uh, Black folks that serve Black communities. Um, we're looking for organizations that have a long-standing history of preparing young people for the world of work. And that means both pouring skills into them, but also helping them actually make that transition into the world of work. What often happens is we pour youth development skills in young people, and then we let, say, we let them go to kind of find their job. And we're saying, no, 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 the skill development piece is critical, but we also want to have a reputation of actually placing them in what we call meaningful employment, career track employment, uh, opportunities where you can earn a family sustaining wage employment. And so you'll see that as a trend across much of our, our grant making. And so expansion recognizes deepening all of those efforts. Uh, and we couldn't be, uh, I think, better positioned to do that. I would say expansion also means deepening our current partnerships with the team foundations. Remember, we're a national entity. The right. team foundations have a much more, uh, a much closer and intimate relationship at the community level. And so how we work in concert uh, uh, to kind of identify those organizations, support them and, and keep that work moving, I think it's gonna be important. But all of that constitutes uh, um, growing our scale, growing our impact and, and our footprint in our communities. NBA Foundations, Greg Taylor with us here on Forward Progress. I was counting through the national and multi-market partnerships you have. I think it was nine of those and and not to say at the top of the list, but it's alphabetical. So it's at the top of the list, literally, is Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. <laughs> and, and it's also one of the magnificent uh, organizations you're supporting in my yes. home market with the Miami. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and what a great singular location that is in Miami-Dade County as well. Yep. But we're talking about 5,000 communities, all 50 states. Uh, the big brothers and big sisters touches on. But just if you don't mind, just kind of walk us through uh, those those partnerships that were either new or renewed across the Yeah. Country. So, you know, just as we think about it, and big brothers, uh, big sisters is a really great um, um, uh, example. In every case of the national organizations that we invest in, and what we have is a kind of one-third, two-thirds split. We know that change happens locally. We know that Best practices are contextual. What happens in Overton in, 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 in versus Little Haiti in Miami are very different. Like we get it. And so those local organizations are, 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 are you know, 60, 70% of our portfolio. But then there are 30% or, 
or one third of our portfolio is focused on national organizations because we know that that national footprint matters. We know scale matters. And but in each case, those national organizations are replicating their more effective economic opportunity programs in our market. So that, that's why as you rattle off that list of where Big Brothers, Big Sisters is located, you'll notice that all of the sites that we're supporting are actually MBA communities. Um, right. And so this notion is strengthen where those or national organizations are already working at the market level. And in some cases, bring those organizations to markets that don't have those organizations, right? And so uh, we're doing both of those. And so our national work really does tie into our fundamental commitment to uh, our MBA markets. And we call it stackable resources. What we're trying to do is create such a concentration of resource and opportunity for Black youth that they know and will find uh, what they need in order to kind of become um, fully engaged and, and, and thriving citizens in this democracy. You know, Greg, I know you've been a busy man the last couple of years. I don't know how you, how long you've uh or how many vacations you've been able to take or get any rest <laughs> to take a nap or anything like that. But uh, I know with all the work that you do, there's obviously some unsung heroes, you know, guys who are and women who help you along the way. Um, who else that doesn't get some of the, the name recognition or just some of the, uh, you know, that, that have been there with you and laying the groundwork? It starts without question with my core team, um, Lauren Sills, who's our operations director, Adela Ruiz, who's our program and grants lead, Shaquilla Khan, who's one of our staffers, and Pam Stoltz, like the five of us, uh, a, a woman named Danny Hayden, who does our social media, like the five, we're, 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 it would, we wouldn't be there without, without these folk, uh, just incredible champions and advocates, a work ethic that is second to none. I'm always pleased on Monday morning when the whole staff shows up, because I just can't imagine how much <laughs> they work all the time, uh, because they're so committed to the work, and they know this is such a rare opportunity. I mean, I think uh, you know, I think you all know I've been in philanthropy a number of years, even before my time at the NBA. And what you rarely have is a commitment, as Jason pointed out, financially, um, um, a kind of a, a clarity of mission and an organization with such a powerful brand presence, like such a powerful megaphone in terms of yeah. these issues. You rarely have all three. And, and I think what mobilizes our incredible team each and every day is to take this opportunity for the betterment of these young people. And so there's no question that that would be my first uh, uh, highlighting of the, what you call the unsung heroes, just my staff and my team is just amazing. And then I would have to partner and, and say, you know, the nonprofit executive directors who lead those organizations, just incredible champions at the community level. The work they do each and every day to navigate and advocate for young people is just laudable and, and impressive. And then the heads of our team foundations, you know, each of those individual team foundations have had their own mission and have been in existence far before the NBA foundation was created. But the way in which we're working in partnership, I'm, I'm, I'm known to say that we're swimming in the same direction while they maintain their current vision, it complements what we're trying to do with regards to economic opportunity for, for these youth. And so I would say team leads, nonprofit leads, and my core staff are those unsung heroes that uh, you're talking about. And anytime I get a chance to you know give them a little love, I get to talk and people see me. <laughs> right. Those are really, you know, I work for both Lauren, Adela, Pam, Danny, and Shaquilla, be clear, uh, in terms of the work. Uh, and so I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Greg, thanks for coming through again. We look forward to uh, circling back for the seventh round. Absolutely. <laughs> and, <laughs> and enjoying. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Thanks, Gene. Take a quick break. When we come back, uh, a story from the Little League World Series uh, and trying to understand why teammates were sticking a cotton-like substance on a player's head.
More on that when we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks so much for hanging with us as we bring it on home here on Forward Progress. It's that time of year where uh, the Little League World Series, both baseball yes. and softball, so fun. It was great to see uh, the weekend prior to our Wednesday taping here, uh, yeah. the major league teams uh, finding their way to yeah. the Little League competition, both Boston and Baltimore in the house. Fun times. I was a little concerned about these highly compensated athletes on these uh <laughs> these cardboard sleds going down the hill, but I know it's great. Uh, I will say this. I, I do have a quick story, Jax. Quick sure, story. Right um, you know, I was out on vacation for a couple of weeks, but also sure. doing obviously NFL work as well. But I went back home and visited, um, you know, my mom, my parents, and we had a family reunion, the Johnson family reunion. Well, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was about for in from the Bay area to where uh, the, the reunion was at, it was probably, I would say, about two hours. So instead of doing a two hour drive, Jax, I said, you know what? I'm going to drive about an hour and we're going to stay at a hotel overnight. So we'll be closer to there, to the location of the family reunion. So, you know, I got my kids with me, moms with me. We all stand having a good time. We go into the pool and we get back and we get back. It was a bunch of little leaguers for the regionals. Oh, and it was the team from, yeah, from uh, Chinese Taipei. They okay. came out. And so all my kids are excited. Like, oh, my God, look at this team. And it was also the team from Latin America. And so I'll tell you this. Young kids in a hotel with brother. no supervision. Brother, come on. It was about 1130 at night. Right. And I promise you, real real talk, Jax. This is what happened. It's 1130. And they I are in the hallway. Yeah. They are loud. And I opened the door. Yeah. And I opened the door. I said, hey, man, what's going on? Don't y'all got a game tomorrow? Uh, I'm sorry, sir. No, we lost today. So there, I said, there. all right, then, man, you know what? Go ahead, have fun, man. Because you know? <laughs> I realized it was, <laughs> it was the agony of losing. But I, and I remember, man, these moments that they'll have, they'll have, they'll cherish for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, guys uh, visiting, you know, just coming to the United States and being a part of it, seeing the culture and being around, it was fun to, to just to see the youth and uh, made me excited to to watch the Little League World Series again, which is something I participated in. Not in I didn't go to Williamsport, but right. just going to take me back to my youth. Well, here's some low end self awareness by yep. uh, Little League World Series and their their partners at ESPN. Uh, as um, apparently there were little leaguers who were playing with uh, stuffed animal filling. Yeah, during uh, the major league. Baseball Little League Classic that we were talking about earlier, Baltimore and, and Boston playing. Um, and it, it got posted to social media on Tuesday this week. In the picture, you can see a white player and a black player both had cotton on the top of their heads. But th- there was a video of all the teammates initially applying all that cotton on the top of a fellow Little Leaguer. Right. Um, Basically, as they say, trying to you know create a white hairdo, but it's cotton, and and again for for all the critical race theory pushback, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not my intent or necessarily my obligation or even really my concern to not make people feel feel good about dumb stuff. 
like to have not have the awareness of the long-standing, alongside history of Black folks and cotton. Yeah, like what what planet do you live on? And you know, it, it has since come out that there's no ill intent, and right. kids were just being kids. And there's a part of that that I can buy. Correct. Right. I ran a, a AAU team for a couple of years, and we're all having pizza one night. And the kids who listen to current hip hop are reciting yeah. the lyrics and <laughs> the end bomb is all over them. Yeah. And somebody, the guy whose name is on the team had to stand up and make it plain what was acceptable and what wasn't, even if their parents weren't going to, okay. where is that person in the mix? Right. I, it, I, I'm lost on this one. Yeah, no, I um, I'm I'm glad that we are discussing this topic because this was a, uh, it had my group chat ablaze. How about that? Um, because I'm sure, I'm and, sure. and I, because you know the the, the team vast, was from Iowa, right? That was yeah. Actually... You know, it was a, a majority of my friends. We are in different sections of the business, worth broadcasting, head coaches, uh, assistant coaches in the NBA, assistant coaches on the college level, football. I mean, it's a lot of us in here. So when you have, you know, when someone puts this article in there, it creates conversation with all of us. The one conversation, when it first came out, I rose my hand and said, first of all, fellas, I just want to let you guys know when it comes to this, this is what we're pushing for when it comes to production, analysts, and all of that. Because I put myself in a situation as a broadcaster in this situation, fellas, if I'm a broadcaster, right, me, Kirk Morrison, and I am during the break and they're telling me in my ear, hey, we're going to come back with these pictures or these video. I'm going to say, hey, hey, stop. Don't run that. That 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 right there is not that that's not it. That's not cool, because that image will rub a lot of people the wrong way, will have negative connotation for a lot of people. To you or to some in the control room or the control booth, the truck or whatever it may be, it looks like kids harmlessly playing, which I totally agree. But also, too, what that looks like, it brings back some memories for some folks who don't see kids playing. They see something totally different. So I had that conversation with the fellas saying that this is where the diversity has to come in when it comes to television and production. Had that beer, and I don't know who was in the truck that day. I don't know who was producing the game. I don't know that. But I think if you have more diversity within that, you can sit back and say, hey, I'm going to run this picture. And you say, you know what? No, I don't think we need to run this video. Or we don't need to run this camera on those kids. Let's, let's come back with something different just to be safe because that overall was something that that I think that's on the production team. You know, if you have more diversity in there, someone say, Hey, let's not do that because that's not right. That's the first thing. And then really quickly on the other thing, Jax is that, you know, I had a buddy of mine who coaches, like you mentioned, AAU, he's in the youth. And he says, this is also something that younger kids, the generation now kids born in the 2010s, you know what I mean? Think about that 2010s. They are not being taught history of slavery and what cotton means. These kids have literally no idea. He says, he says, Kirk, literally, they have no idea. 
had they heard of slavery? Yeah. But do they know the origins and what cotton and what black folks had to go through? So they don't know because their parents don't want to teach them because they're scared to have the conversation. And then we all know what's going on in schools. Schools are trying to push that as further away from their minds as anything. So it's basically a little bit of all of the above when I saw this incident. Yeah. So these kids are from Davenport, Iowa. This was their teammate. Right. And uh, again, I think you, you start at the right place in the sense of how in the world did that truck decide that was video to roll back in? Right. But now that we have an opportunity to know that it's something and we have a discussion and maybe you're planting a seed Correct. that any decent thinking person that's a part of this community in Davenport will realize, one, we, we haven't had any real substantive discussions about history and the, the harshness of some right. of our American history. Right. And, and then number two, learn why it could be offensive. Now, offense can be very different on an individual level. Right. Right. I agree. Um, and, and then that individual has to deal with the ramifications <laughs> of either standing on that wall or not. Right. But uh, when Little League International uh, went to get a better understanding of the actions, um, they could understand how that could be seen as racially insensitive, but right. they went to uh, the player's mother and the coaches who all assured that there was no ill intent. And so internally for Davenport Little League, uh, they may be okay with things internally, right. but there's also a greater responsibility. Yeah. And I think the greater responsibility here is now having that conversation that a lot of these kids may not have. And the one thing that you see there, you're the youthful, joyful, playing, having fun, careless, but I think also this is a time now where they have to realize that although you are kids, what you are doing has racial epithet, have racial tones behind it right? that you don't know about. But now you must educate yourself as you continue to get older. Okay. As you continue to grow, you have to understand. And I think this is now a teaching moment, not just for Little League, but for, I think, youngsters, coaches around, hey, that that's that's not okay. There's certain fun that you can have, but just remember this kind of fun that you're playing around with some little cotton balls and making a George Washington hairdo. That's cool. But you know, when you do that on a young black kid, that also takes people back to a different time. That takes people back to what, you know, black folks had to deal with to in the beginning of this country. Yeah. Even if your intent is strong and you're just having fun, still an opportunity to learn. And are you open to the learning? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or is your only initiative to just defend <laughs> the position of purity and it's those of us on the outside who have the sensitivities that are pushing our thoughts and initiatives versus an opportunity to grow and learn with an open mind. Mm, that's how it always is, man. Open mind. Now I can be open-minded, but right. um, you know, it's one of those things too, man. Like I'm glad that, like I said, we had a discussion as a group. And I'm having a discussion now with you and I hope people out there listening can sort of have that same discussion on what, what's accepted and what's not, what should not be accepted. Well, that's going to do it for us. We're so happy that you swung by once again. Thanks again to the NBA foundation executive director, Greg Taylor for coming by. It's great to have Purnell and Kirk and <laughs> Jacks and Daniela, who you all just never get to see, but she does such a wonderful job for us all back together here on forward progress as we, 
Uh, enjoy the dog days of summer roll to the end <laughs> and toward fall. Uh, it's great to have you aboard each week. For all of us, we thank you for swinging by. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress. Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.